listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. No doubt all of you, uh, hopefully all of you are enjoying jumping into the holiday season. Uh, You even saw this morning some Advent candles. Some of you uh, maybe observe Advent, of course, it's not necessarily spelled out the way what you're supposed to do. Uh, there's a lot of different traditions, but really taking the month uh, before Christmas and really just reminding yourselves and to think and meditate on uh, Christ incarnation and trust you will do that and uh, maybe take to, uh, this evening even with your family or maybe uh, you're single, uh, open up God's word and maybe just uh, read a chapter of scripture that may be prophesied of Jesus' coming. And uh, trust it'll be a special time. Allow this particular holiday season to be one in which you go after the Lord even more than you did last year. This morning, what we're planning to do, of course, what we do each Sunday is we open up God's Word, and many of you know that it was a number of weeks ago that I began a series in the book of Romans. And our practice here at Lebanon Baptist Church is oftentimes to take a book of the Bible and just uh, begin to make our way through it. And uh, one of the benefits of expository preaching is as uh, you're getting the whole counsel of God, and it's not necessarily me just getting to pick where we're going to go each week. And so often, if you do that, you're going to miss some of the key truths that need to be heard. And so we are making our way through the book of Romans, and we have arrived at Romans chapter 2. And so let me invite you to turn there, and Lord willing, we're going to be here this week and of course next week. And uh, uh, possibly on the 18th, I'll preach from Romans. Still uh, haven't planned on it, but I thought maybe I would do that. But let me uh, encourage you to be here all the month of December as we explore God's Word. The book of Romans, just a reminder, because we've been out of it the last two weeks. This particular letter, the theme of this letter, is none other than the gospel. God's incredible rescue plan for humanity. How is God redeeming this world? He is doing it through his son, Jesus. And the book of Romans uh, is a beautiful expose on God's uh, giving of the gospel. And uh, today we are in Romans chapter 2. And as I told you, the beginning of Romans really is a start going downhill. We are looking at really the problem that humanity is caught in, and that is the problem of sin. And the last time we were together, we were reminded that our idolatry, which all of us are idolaters, leads to our immorality. And we looked at Romans chapter 1, the last section of it, and we saw this particular section, and I, I, I shared with you how we believe that that section was geared and focused at the Gentiles, which no doubt are most of you in this room. And we are looked at as the sinners who have gotten caught in our sin and God's wrath is on us. Sadly, we as um, even God's people today, we are so prone to notice other people's sin, people who seem worse than us, and we can look down our noses, and it would have been easy for us to even pick up on a few of the sins in Romans chapter 1 and says, oh yeah, those are the sinners. Our text today focuses on, you could say, the religious or the proud ones who think we've got everything together and we are so prone to judge. And I would like to read from our text this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 1 and we will read through verse 11. This is the word of the Lord, Romans 2 verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. 
We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Would you join me as I pray? Father, today we have already been reminded continually of your son's incarnation. Lord, we are amazed of the fact that you had such a beautiful rescue plan designed for us. We are so thankful that you have also preserved this letter to the Romans as a reminder of where you brought us from. And today, Father, I ask as we examine this text that you led the Apostle Paul to write many years ago, that you would allow it to do the exact work in our hearts as you designed it to do in the hearts of those Romans who first read it. And Father, I ask that you would use these words to bring our church or bring those who are visiting our church today to repentance, and those who are in our church who know you, that we would seek to continue to live a life of repentance before you. Guide and direct this morning, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when conflict arises in any of our lives, particularly with another person, it's so often our problem to see the pride in the other person, the sin of the person who is maybe, we believe, sinning against us. We are prone to be people that point the finger at others. But the key as we all know, if we're going to solve a problem, is to stop pointing our finger at the other person and really look at ourselves. Because we are people that are so prone to be self-deceived. And that is the case in our text this morning. Today we're going to learn a simple truth, and it's this. Since the quote-unquote moral, and I use this a little bit in quotes, Since the moral, because we're all not really moral, since the moral are under God's wrath, like the immoral, we all must repent. You may be here today and you think, hey, I know the immoral people in this world. I know that they have done wrong and they deserve God's judgment. But you who point at them, let me just remind you, it is both the sinners and the saints who need Christ. It is both the irreligious and the religious. And this morning, what Paul does, after taking aim, you could say, at the end of chapter 1, to the, the Gentile sinners, he begins to take aim at the Jewish religious ones. As you read these first few verses of chapter 2, really, at first, you're you're wondering who he's talking to. 
But you realize uh, later on, in fact, when you get to verse 17 of chapter 2, he identifies really who he's talking about. He says in verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, so he finally identifies who he's talking to here. So he's speaking particularly to this group of people within this assembly and all those who would actually in the long run read this. But broadly, of course, it speaks to all of us who think we're excluded from God's judgment. Do you think you're excluded? I mean, this morning. Do you personally think that you will ever be judged by God and that his wrath will be poured out upon you. Now, some of you here, you remember when you first sensed that. But do you think you're off the hook now? What's your reason? Do you have a reason why you are no longer under the wrath of God? If you come up with ideas of, hey, Pastor Brian, I've done numbers of things that takes away the wrath of God. Or maybe you are relying on your own pedigree. I've grown up in church. I've been a religious person. I do all the right things. What's your answer to that question? Are you excluded from the wrath of God? Let me tell you, many people will be deceived. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven? He said, on that day, talking about the judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So we already know there's going to be a day, judgment day, when there will be many, it says, who think they're excluded from judgment. Well, let's remind ourselves of what this text says and let it bring us once again to the gospel. So Paul speaks here to the Jews. Listen to what he says in verse one. He says this, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. And the first thing we're gonna see in this text is this, not so fast pointing that finger, okay? Not so fast. You'll notice over the next number of verses, the continued use of the word judge or judgment. In fact, it's used seven times in verses one through five. Of course, we know that the theme that Paul started in chapter one, verse 18, about the wrath of God is continuing. He's talking about the wrath of God, judgment, judging, And here what Paul does is he begins to take aim at those who were judging the sinners in Romans chapter 1. And that's easy for us to do, isn't it? Oh, it talks about homosexuality. It talks about those who've been involved in that. And it's easy. And probably maybe some of you even came in a few Sundays ago and says, oh, that's the text about the sinners, But Paul here begins to use a literary technique that's called a diatribe, in which he begins to engage with an apparent heckler or an opponent, and he calls him, oh man. And he moves from talking, you could say, in the third person plural, they, sinners, and he begins to address someone in the first person singular. You, oh man, you individually who are saying this about yourself. And what he does is he goes after those who were sitting as judges. And all of us need to remember, when we begin to point our finger at other people and their sins, we'll remember what we were told in in elementary school. When you point the finger, guess what? There's three pointing right back at yourself. And Paul begins to show how those with a religious pedigree are without excuse as well. You remember in chapter one, he says they are without excuse, and here in chapter two, he's telling the religious crowd, you too 
are those who have no excuse. Gentiles, now the self-righteous Jews. And in fact, later, he's going to put us all together and he's going to say in chapter 3, verse 10, for there is none righteous, no, not one. All of us are broken in sin. And we are often people that do the judging and point out other people's sin. I can still remember when I was in Wisconsin, we picked up McDonald's and I'm feeding our kids their McDonald's. And I just all of a sudden stopped and said, kids, stop eating your French fries before we pray. And I remember I was smote right away because guess what? I had about three or four fries in my mouth. (laughs) When I told them I'm chewing my fries and I'm telling them not to. And we can, we are just that way. We are so self-righteous. Yes. For some of them, they could say that they had not engaged in the more public sins. But guess what all of us are? All of us are idolaters. All of us have replaced the glory of God for our own self-manufactured lust. Our own, you could say, rebellion against God. And we are so often, remember when David gets confronted by Nathan? He had been caught in Bathsheba and... Uh, caught with Bathsheba in sin, and, and Nathan is confronting them, and he's telling them the, this whole story about this person who stole a little lamb. He had a guy who was very rich, and he had all of these lambs, but he decides to steal this poor man's lamb, and, and he takes this man's lamb and uses it for his, his meal and his sacrifice, and Nathan confronts David with this, and of course David's self-righteous. I cannot believe this guy would do that. And then what does Nathan do? You're the man. You're the man. Let me say, Lebanon Baptist Church, three weeks ago, that text that we looked at at the end of chapter one was a text that wasn't simply about homosexuality. And for us to say, I can't believe they would do something like that. Judgment is coming on them. Because once you do that, guess what? You condemn yourself because you are an idolater in your own little selfish way. Jesus showed us how often we can go against uh, what he has commanded. In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember when he said, You've heard that it was said by them, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then what does Jesus do? He takes adultery, not just being the physical act, but he says, but whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then then he says, you've heard that it was said, I mean, you're not supposed to kill anybody. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. That final list in Romans chapter 1, I mean, we could go through it, where he talks about envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander. All you got to do is read that list, and guess what? All of you are implicated. And I've said here on numbers of occasions, the older you and I get, I believe, the more you're going to realize how big of a sinner you are. The more you expose yourself to the glory of God and his word and you understand the gospel, the more you will echo what the Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of what? I'm the chief of sinners. But that also means this, those of you who are true believers in Christ, the more as you grow in your understanding of your own sin, the more it means that you need to learn how to embrace the gospel and appreciate it more and love it more and relish it more and swim in it more because that is what helps move you forward. The outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed what? Day by day. 
For some of you, most of your lives, okay, I'd say numbers of you have grown up, particularly you guys who are teenagers in this room, you've grown up and probably been sheltered from a lot of the, you could say, the outward uh, rebellious sins, but you're blind to the own re- your own rebellion on the inside. But let me just say, don't think that you're going to get a pass just because you aren't involved in certain sins. Paul shows in this text that guilt and judgment is on all. We have no excuse. That leads us to the second point. Not only do we need to be careful about pointing the finger at other people, Paul tells us God's wrath is on all of us. Notice what he does. Paul reminds them with this little phrase. Look what it says in verse 2. He says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Uh, This may be something that you'll want to mark in your Bible. This is the first of five we know. Paul will say this repeatedly. We know certain things. And here he says in Romans that God's judgment falls on those who live in sin. But now Paul goes after the exception, the people who think they're the exception. And he asks two kind of questions. Look what he says in verse 3. He says this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? So first of all, notice that he points out that they're doing what? The same things in their own little way. But they're self-deceived. I don't know about you, but one of the things I have to learn how to do in my own life, particularly when there's conflict with other people, is when you notice sin in other people, when you could just say, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're living in that particular way. What I sometimes have to do is I have to, first of all, look at that sin and generalize it. Okay, what are they actually doing against God? And then ask myself, have I been doing this exact same thing in many ways? And I guarantee most of the time, I remember I think it was uh, Dave Harvey in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, he said this, what we ought to do always is, uh, number one, in integrity, suspect ourselves. Okay. Or maybe it's in humility, suspect yourself. But then in integrity, inspect yourself. How am I doing this? We're all sinners. And the problem with the people that Paul's addressing here is that many of these Jews thought that their pedigree, having been the chosen people of God, and their upbringing would negate God's judgment upon them. Hey, because we have been selected, we're just going to escape. He's not going to necessarily look at what we've done. It's going to be overlooked. But I'll tell you this, God sees it all. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. We are all naked and exposed unto him to whom we have to do. And he knows it all. And you may be here today and you think, okay, I'm not going to have to stand judgment for my sin, but reckoning will come. I remember reading recently this past summer a 101-year-old Nazi guard was convicted for what he did in reference to the Holocaust. No doubt he probably thought for years, hey, they're not going to find out about this. I'm good. But you who think, you know what? Yeah, I may have done these things, but you pointed at other people. I think I'm going to get off scot-free here. Let me say that the Bible says that God's wrath is on all man. Has anyone else escaped death yet? Of course, we know 
Enoch. We think that Enoch maybe had an opportunity not to see death. We, of course, know Elijah. But really, the effects of sin and the penalty for sin, which is death, do people get to escape that? No. Why do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? You better have a good reason for it. And if you think, oh, God's just going to overlook my sin, Hebrews 9.27 says this, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Why had this group of people not turned yet? They thought they were the chosen ones. That God's kindness had been to them. In fact, look what he says in verse 4. He says this, or do you presume, and this is what they were doing, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And the idea here is, why was God continuing to show love, you could say, and patience and care for them? It was so that they would come to a place where they would repent themselves. And that's the third point here. Not so fast pointing your finger. God's wrath is on all of us. And number three, repent. That's what this text is saying. And here we learn that God shows all of his kindness and his forbearance for this reason. He wants everybody to repent. And that's why he asked that question. Don't you know? He uses that second question to stir their conscience. And he describes God's goodness to them by three words, kindness, forbearance, and patience. But what were they doing? They were presuming on it. But God shows all of these good things to us to lead us to repentance. In fact, in Acts, many of you know in, in, in Paul's uh, missionary journeys, one of the things that he does is he preaches oftentimes to pagans and Jews. And what does he do in Acts chapter 14 and Acts chapter 17 when he's before the Athenians? He, he talks about how God is good, not simply to the Jews, but to the unjust. And how he gives them beautiful seasons and how he cares for them. And he, uh, it, with much patience, endures their wickedness for what reason? Less happily they should turn to him and repent and come to him. And what, what Paul is saying here is that God has been incredibly kind to the Jews and those of you who he gives good seasons to, he's giving it to you so that you will repent. I mean, last night I had the opportunity, I did a, a wedding in Columbia, South Carolina. And I got to enjoy just the beautiful, one of the beautiful, you could say, seasons of a person's life. Of course, we love certain things, the birth of children, weddings. I love the holiday seasons. I love Thanksgiving. And you know what? Life's filled with ups and downs. But you know one of the things that God has done in this world? He is a good God. And he, as I said, sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. He's a good God, and he gives us these things, and he's patient Why? So that we will come to a place of repentance, that we will turn to him. And all of these good things are meant by God to point us to him. Kind of like when I decide to do a garage sale. What I often do if I do a garage sale or a yard sale, or up north they call it a rummage sale, okay, uh, I put out all these signs that will lead people to my house. And you know what God does? God has put his signs in creation. He has put his signs in his word. And all of them are trying to drive us to a place of repentance. And he had particularly done that for the Jewish nation. Think about the covenants and think about the laws and think about the festivals and think about all that he had done for them to point them to the place of repentance. You say, what is this idea of repentance? This is is where you and I turn from our own sin and we turn back to God and his original intent for us. 
You know, this is what John the Baptist and Jesus preached when they came and, and lived on earth. When the Pharisees came out to hear John the Baptist, do you remember that? He preached this in Matthew chapter 3. He says, but when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, ye brood of vipers, who warned you to flee to the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with what? Repentance. Repent. And what did Jesus preach? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to turn from your sins and I want you to turn to God. And what did John the Baptist add? He added this. Repent, be baptized, and look to one who's coming. And in fact, he told his own disciples, he says, he pointed at a particular person and said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the what? Of the world. Did you know that all of God's good is leading both the Gentiles and the Jews to repentance? But what had they done? Look what it says in verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. They were hard-hearted and they were storing up wrath. It's almost like this. Imagine you had a a kind friend of yours who uh, was so kind to you that let's say every week they were dropping off at your house a gold brick. A nice big gold brick. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. And so in order to protect yourself, what you do is you take that gold brick, you, you... you say, where am I going to hide this? I'll just hide this in my attic. And so you, you climb up the, the attic stairs and you put some uh, plywood out there and you put it right over your bedroom. Okay? And the next week, guess what? They give you another brick. And then another brick. And then another brick. And then another brick. God's riches of his kindness and goodness and love have been showered upon this nation. But as you build up and you store up all of God's goodness, but never repent, what does it say here? You are storing up what? Wrath. And one day, what's going to happen to that big load of bricks that are right over your bed in your bedroom that you have been storing up? They're going to be crashing down on you in judgment. And he says, I have done all of this for you. And all What I have asked is that you repent and recognize my son. You're storing up this wrath. All of you in this room, have you repented of your sin? You who have lived your life, you were born in sin, you became very good at it as a kid. You learned how to get your own way in your own way. And what God has called you to do is to recognize that you're a sinner and turn from it and turn to the one who can save you. And of course, we know, okay, the answer to all of this is Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, okay, I'm only in Romans 2. And here, one of the hardships of a pastor is this. I preach a text of scripture and I know what's coming. And I've got to keep reminding you, okay, here's the trailer. Jesus is coming. Okay, and, and those of you know who've been here, you know that Christ actually is your answer. He's the one. But have you repented of your sin because he ends this section with this? He closes with those who truly have repented, there is going to be a fruit of repentance. And that's my final point here it's this live a life of repentance. Look what it says in verse 6. It says this about God, that God will render to each one according to his works. Okay, some of you all of a sudden had this little alarm go off. This is not good because we're not going to be judged according to our what? Works, right? Wrong. 
you will be judged according to your works. Here we can get nervous and we say, I've always told people it's not the heavenly uh, way scale, like it's not how many good things I've done. If my good things outweigh, let's say my good things outweigh my bad things, I'm going to go to heaven. We know that that's not right because you interpret scripture with scripture. But here it seems as if works are seen as the standard for judgment. How are we to process this? Okay, because in verse 6 through verse 11, he talks about those who do good are going to get eternal life, and those who do bad have wrath and fury. So what is it saying here? How do you process it? Well, this last section is what we would call, it's structured like a chiasm. What's a chiasm? It's kind of like a, uh, an hourglass. It goes in, and then it goes back out. And at the top part, you have good, and then you have bad, bad, and then good again. So it kind of works its way in. Good, bad, bad, good. So the good people, this is what God's going to do. The bad people, he's going to do this. And the bad people are going to do this too. But then the good ones are going to get this. Say, what's going on here? Well, the key is this. The key, I believe, is found, as I said in verse 5, where it's, It's repentance. Those who've truly repented, you know what's going to happen? Their works are going to start to be good. And they're going to stay in those good works because they've repented and looked to another. And they will persevere ultimately to eternal life. But then he says this, those who persist in unrighteousness and continue to live their lives in that, they will receive wrath and fury. But those who truly repent are explained, okay, the two ends of the chiasm, verse seven, he says this. He says, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And then go down to verse 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the idea here is this. Those who truly repent, their lives have been reoriented to seek the eternal with endurance. They are people who now do this. They live by faith and not by sight, and their lives start to show the difference. And I believe what the, the way to connect this is many of you have heard the debate between Paul, salvation is by faith, and James, no. Works are incredibly important. You say, how do you rec- rectify the two of these? Well, faith actually are going to show by your works. And when Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 2 that those who do good and do this will inherit eternal life, what he's saying is this, those who truly repent and believe because you, as you interpret the rest of this letter, it's so clear. Your lies will show the difference. And, and what I'm afraid so often is that Let's say that you're here today, and let's say when you were 10 years old, you had an experience. You went to church, and you learned about Jesus, but the rest of your life, and really what it's been, is just you just continuing to live in unrighteousness. And you just continue to do that, and you don't really feel convicted about it, You you just go on and do your own thing. I'll tell you, true faith is going to produce, true repentance and a turning to Jesus Christ is going to produce a life of repentance. It's almost like in marriage. In in, in marriage, uh, marriage oftentimes is an illustration of salvation. And the idea is when you get saved, you have to initially turn from your sin and believe in, in, in Christ. And like with marriage, you have to initially have to leave all others and you have to cleave to your new spouse. 
And both of those happen at a point in time, like at the wedding yesterday, and they had this marriage uh, ceremony where both of this, the, this couple, they decided to leave all other prospects and to cleave wholly to this new person. But that decision that they made yesterday is going to lead to a lifetime of continuing to turn from all other prospects and continuing to learn how to cleave to this new one. A decision led to a lifetime. In the same way, those of you who have truly turned from your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, what happens? You continue to grow in your belief. You continue to repent in your life. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to show up here on some given Sunday and, and be so convicted about a sin you did this past week. You know what? That should happen. Because the spirit lives inside of you and says, God, I don't want to do that again. I want to live for you. But those who continue in their, their, their selfish lifestyle, and that's what apparently some of these Jews were doing, he says in verse 8, he says this, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It is interesting. Uh, You may catch this, but it's interesting. At the two ends of Romans, he mentions at the beginning in Romans chapter 1, the obedience of the faith. And then if you guys have been noticing, I've been ending our services with a benediction. And some of you are like, that's an interesting benediction. Where is that from? That's the end of Romans. And the reason I've been praying that benediction is so that by the end of this particular series, you're going to have it down. Okay? And guess what it ends with? The obedience of the faith. And the idea is obedience comes from our faith. But evidently, these Jews, they just thought, hey, I know God, I'm, I'm part of his family. No, he says, the judgment's on you unless you repent. If your life is all about you and it's all self-seeking, guess what? You're going to end up getting your own way in the end. George MacDonald said this, this is very interesting. There are only two kinds of people in the world, or in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And the idea is what they did was they decided they wanted their own way. And at the judgment, you want your own way. And the very thing you've lived your life for, you're going to get. But those who truly have come to Christ, they've turned from their sin. They've turned from their sin. They've come to Christ, and they are people who actually pray with sincerity the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. I want my life to be all about you. And then our text ends with a statement of God's impartiality. Look what it says in verse 11. For God shows no partiality. The word here is the word for favoritism. God shows no favorites, or uh, uh, literally, he doesn't merely look at the face of things, or the idea of uh, to see only the mask people wear. Those of you who've been to a masquerade party, most of the time you go to a masquerade party, you can kind of tell, I know who that person is. Okay. But what this is saying is this. In the heavenly masquerade party, let me tell you, God knows everybody. And he sees you with your mask off. And he will judge you because of your sin unless you take the only way of salvation. And here, did you notice he said again, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Of course, the Jews, you could say, were the first in line for salvation. 
He chose them. He gave them the law and the prophets. They were greatly privileged. And they could say, hey, we're at the front of the line. But if you reject and you're at the front of the line, guess what? You're also first in line for what? You're first in line for judgment. God sees who you are. He sees all of us, and we all must repent. And that reminds me and reminds you of exactly what the truth is that we got at the beginning of the text. Because the moral are under God's wrath, like the immoral, you must repent. The Jew and the Gentile are both guilty. And I'm telling you, wrath is coming. What do we need to do? We have to repent. It was on May 31st, 1899, in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. It had been raining continually over the course of numbers of days. Water had been building up in a lake many miles from that city. And on that fateful day there in Pennsylvania, the dam gave way and sent a rushing torrent toward this city. They said the flow would have been like the full course of the Mississippi. And a tidal wave struck this town when no one was expecting it. A number of years ago, I read an account of this particular event. And I remember it's just been etched into my mind how it, as it took out so much of the debris in the city, at one point when the water finally uh, entered into one of the main parts of the city, all the buildings that the torrent was taking away got packed up against this huge stone bridge that it was a massive structure. And it all just got built up and all of a sudden fire started to explode in this structure. And so it happened kind of in the middle of the afternoon and there were so many people caught in the debris and the fire starts and all night long It was just a horror to the town. Here was a group of people that early destruct, they had no idea, but it had been stored up. Let me tell you, God's wrath has been and is being stored up. The only thing that can alleviate that is someone, God himself, who came to take that wrath for those who would turn to him. In fact, when John the Baptist said repent, and he said to look for another and behold the Lamb of God, do you remember what happened? A few days later, Jesus comes to the baptism spot where John the Baptist has been baptizing to illustrate repentance. And Jesus, the God of the universe, goes to John the Baptist and says, goes to be baptized to illustrate this. And you remember what John the Baptist said? (laughs) Because Jesus, of course, was his cousin. A few months, uh, John the Baptist was a few months older than Jesus. But he already knew about Jesus's evidently holy life because he says, I must needs be baptized of what? Of you. Because what do we know in hindsight? We know that Jesus, there was no guile in him. He was sinless. God's wrath was not on his son. In fact, after Jesus was baptized, do you remember what happened? This is my beloved son in whom I am what? I am well pleased. You know what? All the world, God's wrath was on us. But there was one, Jesus, a human, fully human, fully God, and God was well pleased with him. And what did he do? For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
And what the Jews needed and what the Gentiles needed, they needed to do the same thing. They needed to repent of their sin and look to one who John the Baptist said, I am not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. And that one was one who washed the disciples' feet and was the one who ultimately served humanity in the greatest way. You've got to turn to him. And that's where Paul's going in this book. We're all under the wrath of God, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners under God's wrath, Christ died for us. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate. That's why we come every Sunday to do this because, you know, we need to grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Where are you at today? Okay. Are you standing guilty? Have you repented and turned? Let me encourage you to do that. And then those of you who are believers today, okay, live a life of repentance. Grow in grace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you came in today and you said, I fell 12 times this week, if you could even count, okay, keep turning, repenting. Live a life of repentance and The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of this particular text. And Lord, now would you etch them into our minds. And Lord, as we approach Romans chapter 3, we thank you for the pronouncement of Jesus. And Lord, help us to live our lives holy for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.